<laughs> you gotta get into the podcast, though. I gotta get into <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting in. This is me. Hi, this is Elizabeth Lonis, Director of Communications at Park Street Church, and you're listening to the Park Street Pulse podcast. Today, I am sitting here with Adam Herndon. Hi. Hi, Adam. Hi. <laughs> uh, youth Director, or Director of Youth Ministries, yes, yes, more official, official title. Yes. Um, before we get started ta- chatting today, I just wanted to say that as this is the end of May, and the we're winding up the academic year. This is going to be our last regular Friday uh, episode, and I'm going to take a break for the summer. Um, but please keep checking back occasionally. I'm probably going to have some special episodes here or there. Okay, that's out of the way. Thank you for joining me today, Adam. Yeah, glad to be here. <laughs> you are the director of youth ministries at Park Street Church. Um, what ages does that sort of oversee? Yeah, so here we, we, we uh, the youth ministry begins at seventh grade, goes through 12th grade, and that roughly falls between the ages of 12 and 18. So. Did you always think that you were going to be a youth minister? Always, <laughs> no, but for a long time, yes. Uh-huh. Um, when I was little, all I wanted, the first thing I ever remember wanting to do was to be um, a Maverick from Top Gun. <laughs> I wanted to fly, fly fighter planes. Um, but then, <clears throat> I guess around high school, early in high school, I started feeling like ministry was where was what I was more what I was being drawn to. I was involved in a uh, a really great youth group growing up, and I just had a lot of really close friends through there. Um, you know, participated in all of our camps, retreats, missions trips, service projects, and the more I did that and the more I got involved there, the more I started feeling like I wanted to go into ministry. Where are you from? Where am I from? I'm mostly from Virginia Beach. My dad was in the Navy, and so we moved around mm-hmm. a little bit growing up, but I spent pretty much all my middle school and high school time in, in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And have you ever flown a uh, fighter plane? Not a fighter plane, no. Um, I have been up in some other like military cargo planes, and um, but no, not, no fighters yet. Yeah. <laughs> yet, yet. So yeah, is I'm, that I'm keeping still my fingers a possibility? Crossed. <laughs> yeah, so, so how uh-huh. did, so you're in the Air Force Reserve. Yeah. How did that work for you um, combining this apparent desire to go into youth ministry with the, the desire to be flying fighter planes. <laughs> yeah, so um, I had always, <clears throat> yeah, so my, I grew up in the, uh, my dad was in the military uh, for 20 years, um, and I had kind of always had a desire to be in the military, but then my, um, my passion for the church and ministry started getting stronger and stronger and I felt more that's where I wanted to go and so I felt so I thought that I was going to be just like giving up um, that part of my life and desire to 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 go into ministry 
And uh, then when I got into um, seminary, I ran into this Air Force recruiter, and he's told me that I could be in ministry and be in the military at the same time. <laughs> and so he's, he told me about this um, program they had called the Chaplain Candidate Program that allowed you to essentially take care of all your Air Force officer training during the summers, and then, um, and then you'd be... You know, then you could just attend school in those fall and spring semesters. And that way, by the time you graduated, you were um, ready to um, appoint as a chaplain in the military. Yeah, once you had your ordination done. So how does that work for you now in terms of job and stuff? Yeah, so it's, it's really neat. So I get uh, my – I'm not a traditional reservist. I um, – uh, I'm in another category, what they call um, category B, or um, an IMA, and essentially my role is to support the active duty mission of of the um, base. So I uh, I drill down at um, Joint Base McGuire Dix Lakehurst. Um, the um, and so I, I go down there and I support the, the chapel mission. So when they have chaplains who deploy or go on leave or get called up for different sorts of assignments and they're understaffed, and usually like, it's never just like one person, it's always like two or three people who end up having to go at the same time. And so they'll, so they'll call uh, me or, <clears throat> or other chaplains who do what I do um, up and say, hey, we, we're short staffed, can you come in? Um, and so we'll, we'll go in there and kind of support, yeah, whatever, like the, whatever they're have going on or yeah, come fill in. I've heard you say before that being a chaplain in the military, in the military is a lot like, uh, being pastor of a youth group because a lot of them are basically kids. Yeah. They're 18 to 22. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, a lot, a lot of young guys, um, and girls, uh, and they, uh, you know, it's a it's a difficult transition going from from high school, like where you have little to no, uh, you know, adult responsibility. I mean, they're plenty busy doing other things, into an atmosphere where there's so much demanded of them, and they're asked to make really difficult decisions. Um, you know, there's people that young who are you know protecting very valuable assets <laughs> in the military and uh, and so there's a tremendous amount of responsibility um, and so it's a, so just depending on what they do in the military they can either feel like they're wasting their life because they're sitting behind a desk you know pushing paperwork uh, or they're protecting our nuclear arsenal <laughs> and so you have kind of both extremes and everything in the middle and so uh, so they, so many times they just, they just need some encouragement. They need a place they can feel safe to go talk to. And one of the unique things about the chaplaincy is the mil in the military is that we offer, um, uh, complete confidential communication. Mm -hmm. And so, um, we call it privileged communication. And so anything that they share with us, they own, they own the conversation. And it can't. Our conversations can't be 
court-martialed or um, or a, their commanders can't ask us like what they shared with us um, and so and there's no record of them coming in we don't keep files on them or anything like that and so they can come in they can share for openly and they don't have to worry about it like affecting their um, their career or or anything else imagine you hear some pretty heavy stuff yeah yeah so I mean it's not I guess not too much of a secret but yeah I mean there tends to be you know suicide tends to be higher in the military and things like that and so yeah we'll get people who will come in and just just really down and either feel trapped looking for a way out or and so um yeah so that's one of the things we we deal with unfortunately. how do you personally deal with hearing hard stories all the time um I guess you you get used to not like you you like you want to have a certain level of empathy, but you can't you can't own and wear like all their own stories. Mm-hmm. And I guess you just after a while, you get used you get you ho- hopefully you find that balance where you know you you feel for them and you empathize with them and you just listen and then not, but then being able to realize you know that's not yours to carry around with you because if you carried everybody's stuff around with you in ministry, right. you would be, you would drown. Right. And so you, yeah, it's just a kind of a balance. You, I guess you learn. So, but the hard, the hardest parts are actually not necessarily the, like this, like the actual counseling of somebody who's dealing with a thing, but like the aftermath of when it happens, hmm. that's the hardest part. Um, is having to go into, uh, people's units with their commanders and notify their unit when something like that has happened. And do you personally have to do that? Yeah. Yeah. So we go in and yeah, the commander has to give, has to give the notification. And then we're usually there to say a few words to pray with folks and then to be there for anybody who just wants to talk, cry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how, did you meet Jesus? Um, how did I meet Jesus? Well, my parents, I mean, I grew up, I grew up actually going to military chapels. Um, and so, you know, my parents were both Christians and, and then once my dad retired, it was when I was in sixth grade. And when we got plugged into the youth ministry that I was talking about earlier, um, that was more. That was really the first time that I heard about faith in a relational way, and more about understanding um, Jesus on a, a more personal level. And so, um, but I do remember actually. I my first like really like I guess religious experience that I remember um, was when we were actually we were living in Guam. And uh, my dad, or we, yeah, I'm sorry, my dad had got, like, transferred there his last two years in the military. <laughs> um, but we were, we, it was a Christmas, um, a Christ, uh, Christmas Eve service, and I just remember, like, the weight of, like, Jesus coming to earth and all that, like, it just hit me. I remember, like, I, I remember, like, my parents had this ugly yellow, like, couch chair thing. It was, like, straight from the 70s that they owned. And I just remember sitting on that thing and, like, 
and just like crying mm. because I, I guess that was really the first time that it, it clicked as much as it could for a fifth grader. Um, but then, yeah, then we retired, we got back and I got really plugged into, um, church and started understanding more about what, what, what is, yeah, what does it mean to have faith on a, on a daily basis? Um, and so, uh, yeah, so I guess like the, the more, yeah, relational side of it, yeah, happened like, yeah, early in middle school and then just kept kind of going from there. I found that most people have like one thing that is their message, their their theme that they keep sort of learning different variations of or so for example if you go into a christian bookstore there are there's you know the five love languages and then there's the five love languages for everybody god and for you know married couples and for children and for dogs and whatever do you have a message that you think is is your message or let me put it a different way i don't know if this is a different totally different question but um, another way of saying this is, if uh, a kid was to come to your youth group in seventh grade and then graduate you know, in 12th grade and leave, what is the one thing that you would want them to take away? Yeah, I think what I've been growing more and more passionate about has been um, yeah, kind of that thing for me is really understanding what it means to be the family of faith. Um, I don't, I don't think we do a really great job right now in the church, just universal understanding what does it mean to actually be brothers and sisters in Christ. I think we, a lot of times we look at, we look at church, like we look at business and things like that. This kind of like top down approach and a different authority levels and things like that. And instead of looking at each other as as a sibling and um i think that would completely change the way that uh the church function related to one another if we kind of stop seeing each other as like a collection of individuals or like or even just like a loose friends and really started thinking about each other as like what does it mean for you know, you to be my sister in Christ? What does it mean for this student to be my brother in Christ? What does it mean for the kid in the nursery um, to be my uh, my brother in Christ? Because when you think <clears throat> in terms of familial relationships, like there's a sense of, there's a, there's a different sense of responsibility for one another and wanting uh, the best for one another. And it's not this, and then also it levels the playing field because we're all, as siblings, we're all, we're all equal. In Christ, um, and and we all share the same oldest sibling, who you know who is Christ, and he's the firstborn, and he's the one we look to, and he's the only natural born son, and all of us, and everyone else, um, are we're all you know adopted brothers and sisters who share in um, uh, the inheritance that he has promised us, and share in the blessing of what it means to be a son or daughter of God. Um, <clears throat> And so, uh, so one thing I, I I steer with the students a lot is helping, just trying to help them understand that they are they are brothers and sisters in Christ, and that they 
they belong here just as much as the person who's been you know coming here for 40 years and they have just as much to offer um, you know because in a family every every person in the family is, is important and makes and what one person does in the family usually affects the whole family and and so both for the good and for the negative and so um, and then it also takes away this idea that you know church is um, about you know about me or what what I give what I can get out of it um, and it, it changes that to like you know more this I guess covenant re- relationship that we have with one another and and trying to help each other grow up to be like our eldest brother to be like Christ together and so trying to help them find their their place in that and so I would say yeah that's kind of yeah been been my thing I've been really just thinking a lot about lately do you think um, that kids these days are more different or more similar than kids when you were a kid, mm-hmm. which wasn't actually that long ago. Forever. <laughs> it was like, you know, 10 minutes ago or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think there's a lot, there's a lot, clearly, I mean, a lot has changed in our world, um, even in. Do you remember like the, before the internet? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I remember getting those AOL discs that you like uh-huh. put in to get yeah. a free trial and the dial up and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was a time before that. Yeah. Which, so you're yeah. the la- the last of the pre digital generation. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I didn't grow up with a computer in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, not until probably I was in high school or maybe maybe middle school is when we first got our you know massive right. desktop. <laughs> um. And so, yeah, so, I mean, a lot has changed in our world. Um, I think, I mean, the same basic needs of what it means to be a teenager hasn't. Um, you know, they're, they're, you know, all teenagers are essentially, you know, going through and developmentally the same thing. You know, their their brains are still figuring things out. They're growing and, um, and de- developing and making new connections and learning how to make good decisions. Um, and then they're, you know, trying to figure out, you know, their place in the world. So they're kind of identity development. Um, um, they're seeking autonomy, you know, looking f- to make decisions for themselves and be em- empowered. And then also, you know, but then also wanting, then belonging, also wanting to have friends and companionship. And and so those basic needs are all the same, but it's, it's the, our world, that it's just so complicated. Um, even like, I mean, not, none of the kids in my youth ministry have ever known a world without an iPhone. And pretty soon, none of them are gonna have known a world without an iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, <clears throat> they'll never have known a life before Facebook. And so learning how to figure out relationships is already hard enough when you're in high school. Um, learning how to be a good friend, you know, learning where you fit in and all that. And then you take you know, so you take Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook and you, and you like throw that on top of it where you have all of your circles of friends in one place, trying to figure out what, who you are in the midst, midst of that. Cause you know, one of the things adolescents are doing is like, 
is especially in early adolescence is like okay you know i have this kind of i have this kind of group of friends here maybe it's at baseball and so this is kind of like who i am at baseball and this is kind of who um this is kind of my role in my school this is kind of my role in my church and so and it takes a while for you to start integrating those things and really discover like you know who kind of who who you are um but now with like social media it's like what you say to like one group every other group of friend you have sees that and so it's really it's really complicated um and then not and then our our school systems are have gotten increasingly more complicated and stressful for them with um because when i was coming up in school like standardized testing wasn't really a thing it was starting to become a thing but it wasn't a thing yet and and now like you know now now a lot of our education is teaching to these tests and the requirements for getting into college keep you know getting more and more difficult and so they're required to take more AP classes and then especially up in our area where we have an overemphasis on academics mm-hmm. they're expected to you know all like when I was in my church in Virginia I don't think I had, and maybe in the whole time I was there, I had one or two kids who would think about applying to an Ivy League school to where it's like almost every single graduate I have here is applying to five or six Ivy League schools. Um, And so there's a certain amount of of pressure and competition peer to peer, parent to student. Um, That makes it really, really complicated. And, And so in order to get into these schools you know they're taking like four or five ap classes which are harder than college classes Mm -hmm. (laughs) and which is is ridiculous and then they have to test to that and then they're you know the president of this or they're involved in this club and they're on travel sports and school sports and so i mean their lives are like seven eight you know six a.m to you know five or six at night or later you know just packed and then they come home, they eat something that looks like a dinner, and then they they have like homework. three or four hours of homework. And by the time that all that's done, you know, it's 11, 12 o'clock at night and or later if they have tests. And then it's like they do it and they get up and, and do it again, which is also a shame because adolescents need more sleep like than any other developmental time period. Yeah. Um, and so like, and they're not, and they're not getting nearly enough sleep. And so, um, so a lot of that, there's just a lot of stress and then, and so, which is why social media has become such a big thing in their lives because they're, they're stretched so thin that that's one of the places that they can connect with friends that they don't get to see, um, as often. And so. Yeah, so I would say they're, 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 the world they're growing up in is, is very, is much more complex and difficult to manage as an adolescent. And it doesn't sound like, I mean, even if my, so my kids are two and six, so they're going to be there pretty soon. Um, even if I, as a mom, wanted to be like, oh, I just, you know, kids, I don't want you to be stressed out, so we're not going to do, we're, you know, don't apply for Ivy League <laughs> don't. schools. Don't do any sports <coughs> or music. Like, just yeah. that—that's not going to work for them because then they're not going to 
have the tools that they need to go to the next level, right? Or I... yeah, well, I mean, it just it depends on. I mean, there's so many different factors. I mean, is like it depends on what they want. Like, do you know yeah. if if they want to go to Ivy League schools, which if you guys are still living here, will probably be the case. <laughs> right. Um, and then it's just yeah, I think finding it's diff it's a hard question. It's finding a trying to help them find a good balance yeah. and helping them to say say no to things and then also helping them understand you know that there's more to life than going to an Ivy League school yeah and you know there's you know you can you can get a lot of great jobs that you know don't require you to um, to have the pedigree um, and so um, I, yeah, I think it's helping them yeah, find the balance. Like, okay, you know, this, this, you know, sure, dream big, you know, but don't, but don't put all your, you know, don't, don't let this define like, right. you know, your value. So how can, as our, as our younger brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. how can the church support teenagers these days? How can we be yeah. there for them? Yeah. So I, yeah. And this, and this is where that that conversation is so important about being brothers and sisters in Christ because it's just they teenagers are constantly and this is another thing that makes their world so complicated is they're they're always evaluated by their performance and they learn very early on that they are only as valuable as well as they perform Mm -hmm. so in school I mean almost exclusively the teachers favorite kids are the kids that perform the best and when they go to sports and everything else, they're always evaluate everything. Almost everything they do is evaluated based on their performance. And they're always and the kids who perform well are praised, and the kids who perform okay maybe get a pat on the back. And then the kids that don't perform to the to the standard often just kind of get forgotten and left out. And and so one of the things we try to do in youth ministry. It's just create a space where they can just be and that they are value and they are valuable because they are made in the image of God and they are valuable because they are a part of our family and they are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so um, so our goal is to create a space where they don't feel valued based off, you know, how much they serve or involved or how little they are, but they're just we're just happy that they're there. And because adolescents, they don't have a lot of adults in their life that are there to support them just for the sake of supporting them. And so, so having other adults that, can, that, that are there to encourage them, to listen about their hard weeks, um, to, for them to share about you know, their, their friend drama or like what to do or, things, or even more serious like things that are happening in their families we just want to have a space where they feel that is safe and and they can just be but for that to happen we need other people in the church overall to care about these this group who a lot of times get talked about as oh the kids are just entitled they're always on their phones and and um but it's a really a lack of understanding about what it means to be an adolescent a lot of times what older people or older generations will do will take their concept of what growing up was like for them and say that and they'll think that is what it's like now 
and so and then they'll see that they don't act the way that they did when they were in high school and they and so then they say oh it's a problem with the kids and say no it's a problem with the world that our kids are growing up in and so our kids are learning to survive in the world that they've been that they've been given so we need yeah other just adults that will come in and, and just try to understand what it's like for them because um, most of I mean, most of them are 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 stressed at some level, and some. A, a youth ministry professor, Chad Clark, says you know, he talks about how, essentially, all, almost all adolescents are stressed. Some, but some, <clears throat> some are better adapters than others. Some just learn how to manage the stress better, and and learn how to perform. Or, what you'll hear in education is, is that they they learn they just learn how to take tests they don't they're not acquiring information they just learn how to take the test and so they've learned how to adapt in these situations um but they still they still have a lot of stress and so just create so having the church come alongside of them and say and valuing them encouraging them um it's huge and so we always always need more people who will who will step in and just just want to be there like we don't we don't require a lot of folks like it just take you know just come in listen talk hang out they just need adults who will encourage them and value them for just just for being them mm-hmm. so let's just do shameless plug right now uh are you yes. looking for youth leaders i'm always looking for youth leaders um <laughs> what the, what kind of person are you looking for to be a youth leader and how does one become one and what would <clears> be sort of yeah. time requirements yeah so so there's a there's a misconception that to be a youth leader like one you have to be younger you have to, or you have to be single or you have to be cool or you have to know the language or um but that's all false the stu- teenagers they don't they don't need more peers right they they have plenty of peers they just need you to be you you know if even if we look at our 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 youth team now which is even I mean, it's mostly young single people, <laughs> but they're all very different, and and kind of who they are, how they, you know, process things, and what they like to do, and so <clears throat> you know, naturally, different students will gravitate towards different people who are you know, um, who they kind of identify with, and so it's not you don't. Yeah, you, you don't have to have like this dynamic personality or, you know, you can just be you because there's kids of all across the spectrum who will who will gravitate towards a certain type of person. Who gravitates toward being a youth leader? Is it people uh, who I have I have sort of this idea that it's people who either hated being a teenager or uh, loved being a teenager, but probably hated being a teenager, teenager. and <laughs> just wanted it to That's be better funny. for them. I should do. I should look into that. I, I've never really <laughs> asked my youth leaders about their what their experience was, but I don't know. I find what do I say? That's like I don't. I don't really have a great <laughs> answer for like why somebody comes. They like once you get into it, it's just a, it's a great community community family of folks to be around. The teenager like they're. They're a lot of fun, and sometimes it, it's. I think the hardest part. I think the biggest barrier to youth ministry, for people, is is relationally. It just it just takes a little bit of time. Like you're you can't like it's not like kids, where you come in, you know, and you have like you give them a bunch of goldfish, and then like all of a sudden they love you, and then like you know the re- the relational side with little kids tends to be a little easier because yeah. their their needs are very simple. Right. 
but with teenagers, it just takes time and consistency. Like we had one youth leader who, you know, maybe after six or months or so was like, I, I don't, I just don't feel like I'm connecting with the kids and I'm ready to give up. And I encourage that person just to just stick it out, you know, come on a couple of retreats. Like it just takes, it, just, it takes time that you have to build trust with them and you don't have to do anything like super crazy to, to do that. You just have to, they just have to know you're going to be there. Yeah. And then, you know, by the end of that year, students would coming up to them and just like just smiling and happy to see them. And so it just, it just, it's just one of those things. It takes time because you have to, you know, they're at a point in their life where you, you have to build trust before they're going to, to let you in. And it's simple to build trust. You just, you be consistent and you just be you. You don't, you know, you don't have to like try to act cool or, or speak their language you know all their yeah you don't you, know, you don't have to know all their lingo it changes so quickly um but they will laugh at you if you try to use it <laughs> right um yeah it's just, so it just yeah just kind of it's just one of those things that it just takes time and uh and just being you but they need they need to see people from all walks of life they need to see strong marriages they need to see older older singles who are who are living faithfully for the lord they need to see you know um our 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 seniors who've you know walked a you know a long life faithfully in the Lord, and so so everyone brings something valuable, and so really it it just kind of takes showing up and and the commitment is you know it's just like you know come on a Friday come on a Sunday, um, just for a couple hours and if you want to go above and beyond come on a retreat you know where you have like seventy two hours and that's usually where. You know those types of trips where you have like that long, that big shared experience is really where a lot of trust gets built. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just anybody who you know wants to come as, alongside these brothers and sisters in Christ would be just a tremendous blessing to them. Yeah. Speaking of trust, you decided to do a series on sexuality. Uh, I'm just gonna say that's brave. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What made you decide that this is something that you wanted to tackle? Have you done this sort of series before? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, um, it's been a few years since me being here that I've really tackled um, that topic. I mean, I've done it before at other churches, but one of the, that's another thing that's been that's become more and more complicated in our world, and especially with teenagers is is this like real casual nonchalantness to relationships and sexuality essentially the 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 core of of the message is is what does it mean to what does it mean to rightly love another person because we have a lot of really strange ideas in our culture about what love is and most of the time it gets associated with a passion or a desire and when that passion or desire is gone then love must not be there and so really understanding what does it mean to love a person um rightly and love them the way that god loves somebody and and so we was it so then we start back well what does it mean to actually be a good friend to another person mm-hmm. and this is not only just this is true in any relationship not only in romantic relationships but any relationship is especially of a relationship with someone of the opposite sex, what does it mean to love that person rightly? And how, how do we treat them in a way that's honoring? Because most of the sex, sex talk and things in our culture is not about love. It gets called love, but it's really about use. And you, two people using each other for some sort of end. And 
It's okay. a, even it's all like you know magazines or whatever. It's all about like your experience, your fulfillment, you, what's best yeah. for you. Yeah, or like yeah, like a lot of movies, like this whole even this whole idea of like that God has like like one person out there for you, or one soulmate. It's this idea that God has created one person for you. Hmm. But I don't. But but God doesn't create people for people. He creates people for Himself. And so yeah, so so trying to help them understand this idea of commitment, <clears throat> and then you know the famous you know First Corinthians thirteen passage. If you look through that, like what does it mean to love? And, and a lot of that stuff is, is all self. It's all selflessness. It's all giving of yourself. And this is another thing we talked a lot about. Is what does it mean to like think of the opposite sex as a gift? And so, you know, how, how do you, when someone gives you something that is valuable, how do you, 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 you treat it with respect and value and you take care of it and you, and you know, if it's something, you know, that has like a manual or something with it, like you, you follow the instructions for how to take care of it. And so, you know, when Adam is in the garden and he's by himself and then he wakes up the next day and Eve is there you know, there's this exclamation of at last, like, this is somebody like me. This is, this is, essentially, this is a gift to me. Like, we are a gift to one another. And so, understanding how to treat somebody as a, as a gift. And we can learn a lot about just, about what it means to be in a, in a healthy relationship through Adam and Eve. And there's a passage at the end of chapter two that says that they were both naked and they felt no shame. Because there was no afraid of, being used by the other, of not of not um, being able to look at each other rightly, and then when the fall came, you know, they said you know that they hid and they clothed themselves because now there was this fear of not being seen rightly by the other person, of 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 a fear of being used by the other person, and so God in His mercy gives them clothing, and so then we talk about how how clothing is a, is was a mercy given to us by God and clothing and modesty is not about like you know not wanting to uh, be fashionable or attractive but it's about helping others to view you rightly mm-hmm. and not being seen as an object and that's one of the things I, I stress with our girls is that we live in this culture where that the message to our young ladies is that like their sexuality is their power to get what they want in this world. And and it's and that's plastered everywhere, you know, through in 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 music and movies, the way females are expected to to dress is like they have to it, it it's it's sad that it's like they have to expose some sort of their body in order to to be desirable. And if they're not desirable, then they're not valuable. And that's the message our culture sends our young ladies. And a lot of times it gets disguised as like women's liberation and sexual freedom and all that kind of stuff. But really it's slavery because the narrative is not the same for men. And so helping them to understand that like their sexuality is, is valuable and should be protected and not just you and not, <clears throat> and don't use their body to get, you know, negative attention. You know, if, if some if a, if a person is only interested in you because of what you can do for them or what how you make them feel, then that's not love, it's use. They're using you and you're using them to get what you want. And so our, we get, so it creates this awful cycle of two people using each other. And that's why understanding 
well, one understanding that that is use and then understanding what does it mean to actually love? How does love break that cycle mm-hmm. and respecting each other? When we were teenagers in the 90s, mm-hmm. um, there was this big purity culture push. And since then, people who are our age are now writing about that online a lot. And, and it's been, the purity culture has been getting a lot of negative feedback. Were you involved in that at all? And oh, yeah. I, oh, <laughs> yeah. Did you I have w- a true love weights ring? Oh, yeah. 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 No, I, yeah, no, I went through true love weights and, um, but yeah and and all that and and it's not it's not all bad but the the problem you know well one it led to a lot of like shaming where it was like and there wasn't enough healthy talk about that how sex is a gift and 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 understanding it more holistically it was just kind of like hey guys you have this desire that stinks (laughs) you know just hold out hold out you can do it and pledge that you're gonna do it and it was just kind of like the Bible says so, so just don't do it. And that was the message, yeah. which is not, which is not really how you want to promote anything. Right? <laughs> like, oh, just don't do it. Like it's you know, and then well, and then, then said the same thing about drugs. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. just say no. Yeah, just say no. Yeah, but it's helpful when you understand, like, yeah, because when you do this drug, look what happens to your body. Yeah. So the way I try to understand it and try to come at it is like, look at. Look, look at what happens when you do this rightly. And one of the things I told them up front is like, if think about what our world would look like if we followed the Bible's sexual ethic. I was like, everything that we hate about sexual um, brokenness in our world wouldn't exist. Like we would, there'd be no need for the pornography industry husbands and wives would stay married to one another there would be no sex trafficking there would be no rampant spread of of stds um and and i mean if you just go down the list like there there's so much good that comes and so much protection that happens from the bible's ethic on sexuality and it's not and it promotes sex as a good thing but look you know, like anything, like you can, you can take something good and if you abuse it and don't use it rightly, then it can become a, some, it can become damaging. Water keeps you alive and nourishes you and helps you function, but can also ruin your home. And just, and so you can drown in it. So trying to help them understand why the Bible talks about sex the way it does, um, and why it talks about love the way it does, I think is a much better message than just saying, don't do it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, yeah, the approach that I take to it. So Adam, do you have a soapbox of any kind that you would like to stand up on now and let us hear what you have to say? Um, yeah, yeah. So I think my, my soapbox is, ties back into the whole <clears throat> un, really understanding what it means to be the family of faith. Mm-hmm. And I think in our uh, in our culture that just uh of individualism and always you know thinking about you know kind of consumer driven always thinking about the self you know has really has come has really found its way into how we think and process faith and church life you know we we talk all about you know 
as and and and, and rightly so, and it's and, and it's biblical, but like, but we overstress the importance of like, you know, that of a personal salvation decision and then a, a personal walk with the Lord, and however, we don't do a good enough job talking about how my personal decision to accept, you know, Christ or to have faith doesn't just save me in by myself but it actually saves me into the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so there's no such thing as a Christian on an island. And an individual personalized faith is not the end goal of faith. It's it's moving into the body of Christ, into the family of faith. And and when is, when when all is said and done and Christ returns, we will all be together as a family. And and so the, this idea that like that all I need is Jesus and like my personal quiet times to grow in my faith I think has been overemphasized and we don't and we've missed the blessing of what it means to be the church and the family of faith because because if if I'm all I need for my own faith and my growth in faith then church becomes secondary the family of faith naturally just becomes secondary and then it becomes about furthering me in my own walk the church becomes a place i go to further my own walk and so that i come to church to get something out of it and i don't come to church thinking of what i'm giving in worship and and i think that's really affected our churches a lot of the mega church culture which has tailored everything to meet the needs of individuals i've heard a mega church pastor say like in church we're in the customer service business and and that's just sad to me because we're missing the blessing of what it means to be the community. We're taking away any sort of commitment. We're saying, you know, come here and get what you like. You know, and if you don't like something, then, you know, go somewhere else. And we treat it just like anything else, uh, you know, like any other thing we consume. Well, if I don't if I don't like my PC, then I'm going to go get a Mac. If I don't like, you know, if I, if I don't like you know, this restaurant, I'm going to go, you know, over, I'm going to go to another one. Or if I don't get the customer service I want here, I'm going to go somewhere else. And then we start to think about church like that because we've so over promoted this idea of, of a personal faith that we, and that, that that's, you know, all we need that we forget that like, no, we actually need the body of Christ. Like you can't, you can't like baptize. You can't take communion by yourself. Like you can't do these great acts of worship by yourself. You have to have family of faith. And it's only through interacting with the family of faith that we, that, you know, even the whole iron sharpens iron, um, that we grow in Christ likeness together because we go through difficult things. We suffer together and we do these things that Christ did, but we can't do those on our own. Those have to be done here. And so I would just, I just want people, my desire is to help people understand how, how, how churches in church life is it should be more than just about me and what I'm coming, but about true worship and about giving to your family. And so that's kind of my soapbox. That sounds like a great soapbox. <laughs> message. Would it be okay if we closed in prayer for the family of God and for teenagers yeah. in the family of God? Yeah. Um, Lord, thank you so much for uh, this time to think Lord, more about what it what it means to be the family of faith lord we thank you for the blessing of the church lord we thank you that you don't uh just save us and leave us on an island to figure things out by ourselves, but you save us into your body and into the family of faith lord where we have 
brothers and sisters. Uh, Lord, help us to learn what it means to be a good brother and sister to one another and to love each other rightly and selflessly. Um, Lord, thank you for um, our teenagers here, Lord, and just pray that, uh, Lord, that they would continue to grow up into your likeness, Lord, that they would see that they are valuable, Lord, because you have created them, God, and you died for them. And so, uh, Lord, we pray that you would help them grow up in, into their into uh, mature, believing adults, Lord, and that you would continue to send great people in their lives that would um, encourage them to that end, we pray. Lord, thank you so much for bringing Adam and Jess to our church and their, and their two boys. Thank you for their contributions as our brother and sister um, to the family of faith. And I pray that you would help us um, know how to build them up and support them. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs>